Happy Christmas. Twenty-five years ago, my grandfather broadcast the first of these Christmas messages. Today is another landmark, because television has made it possible for many of you to see me in your homes on Christmas Day. Welcome to the Poetry Says Love Actually End of Year Special. As always, I'm your host, Alice Allen, and today I'm going to be taking questions from you, my beloved listeners. I've received many questions for this episode, so I am going to dive straight in. As promised, the people asking the questions will remain anonymous, but they know who they are, and I am deeply grateful to all of them. And I'm grateful to all of you for listening to me this year. Let's get into it. I'll get it, Mama. Okay. I forgot to tell you that a friend of mine is dropping in tonight, Mr. Jack Jones. He happens to be one of the best singers around, besides being a good friend of my family's. And uh, it's, I'm going to ask him if he'll maybe sing a song tonight. I, he's kind of shy about singing at parties, but maybe, maybe he will this time. We'll do our best, anyway. My first set of questions comes from John Keats. John is at This Living Hand on Instagram. And John's first question is, how do you know if a poem is bad? How do you know if a poem is bad? I love that this question is phrased, uh, how do you know if a poem is bad, rather than how do you know if a poem is good? I think that, I think that tells us something. I'm not sure what it tells us. But I actually know the answer to this question. I figured it out. So to find out if a poem is bad, what you're going to need, first of all, is a printer, which is annoying, I know, but you've got to find a printer, print out the poem, and then roll it up into like a tube. This is the way that it works best. Get a lighter and light one end of the tube and then walk over to like a curtain or a, maybe the couch or, or something flammable in your house and set that thing on fire with the poem. At this point, um, maybe a fire alarm will start to go off. Um, I probably should have said at the start, like you should probably pack a small bag of things you want to take with you. Should have said that to begin with. So the fire alarm's going off, so you probably want to leave the house at this point. Um, go and stand somewhere where you get a good view and then watch the house burn down. It shouldn't take too long, maybe a couple of hours. And then call the insurance company. And if the insurance company pays out your claim, if they buy that this is an accidental fire, then that's a good poem. But if they don't, if you end up having to pay for the reconstruction of your house, then that's a bad poem. It's really the only way to figure it out, unfortunately. Nothing else is a trustworthy measure. Like, think about it. Like, is an editor going to be able to tell you whether a poem is bad? No. Your friends, they don't know. Their poems are bad too. Looking at other poets from history and comparing your work, well, that's not scientific. This is the only way to do it. And I know it's, it's messy and it's time consuming, but you want to know, right? Like you need, you need to know. 
whether your poem is bad. I understand. I I want to know whether my poems are bad too, and I have um, done a lot of property damage trying to figure it out. But like, at least I know. At least I know. John also asks, how often is it healthy or necessary for a poet to jerk off? Again, I think the phrasing in this is quite fascinating, John. I like the way that you've described it as as something that could be healthy or necessary and not just for fun. But how often is it healthy or necessary for a poet to jerk off? The answer to this is somewhat related to, you know that theory that like every animal has a certain number of heartbeats that they can go through before they die? It's, uh, it's basically that. So everybody has an allocated number of times that it is healthy for them to have a wank. But um, like with the heartbeats, you don't know, like you can't, I think they did measure it with the heartbeats though. So maybe, maybe I need to do a bit more research on this, but basically there is a set number and you are using that number up as you go through your life. Um, and eventually you're going to hit the point at which it becomes unhealthy and unnecessary. After that, what happens? Who can say? Your life may fall apart. Friends may abandon you. Um, things may become just slightly inconvenient for a while and then get better. It's hard to say. But it's a huge, it's a huge risk that we take every time we engage in this activity, which is why I never do, saving it all for prison. Final question from John Keats. Poetry says, what? Okay, so I actually have a lot to say about this. When I chose the name for my show, I, it was a long time ago to start with. It was a very, very long time ago. Um, and I was just trying to pick something that would be like, this is really, really uh, embarrassing. But like, basically, I was thinking about SEO. I was thinking it needs to have the word poetry or poems in it. And it has to do with talking. So I landed on Poetry Says. Now, the, the fact that I'm going to reveal to you today is that I don't actually like the name of my podcast very much. When people ask me what the show is called, I always cringe a bit when I tell them. And I'm really envious of other shows that have cooler names, uh, of which there are at least a few. And I've been thinking for a little while, like, can I just change the name? Will that mean that nobody can find me anymore? Will all my subscribers, like, will the feeds all get fucked up and then people won't be able to find me? And um, yeah, what happens there? I don't know. I, I actually can't be bothered to figure out, but if I could be bothered to figure that out, uh, I would change the name of the show to Poetry's Dead because I think that's better and funnier and more interesting and more likely to get people listening. I think if you're a new listener, you probably look at the title and you go, that sounds naff. Because uh, it is. It's a naff name. Now, what was the original question? I have my um, little Christmas drink here. Uh, the original question was, what does poetry say? 
What does poetry say? My own family often gather round to watch television, as they are at this moment. And that is how I imagine you now. I very much hope that this new medium will make my Christmas message more personal and direct. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? My next question comes from John Dunn. John is active on Mastodon at bestfull72 is his handle. And John's question is, do you think the poet's tendency to lurk goes before the desire to write poetry or are they concurrent? Causality, correlation or coincidence? Nature or nurture? Tendency to lurk. I was trying to think of a funny way to answer this and then I realized that I was sitting alone at Good Times, the pasta bar in Fitzroy North, which is full of gorgeous young people and they were playing, uh, what were they playing? They were all singing along, I think to Jessie's Girl or Stacy's Mom. It was Weebus. John. As you're listening to this, I want you to think about what's actually happening here. There are a number of, as I said, beautiful young people sitting around in this wonderful pasta bar in Fitzroy North. And then there is me sitting at a table alone with my phone out, recording the sound, thinking, oh, this might be good. I could maybe use this in the show. You want to talk to me about lurking? Like it's a it's a place where people go to underage drink and eat pasta and have a good time. It is called Good Times, and I'm there alone. So, <laughs> so yes, the lurking the lurking tendency is one that I very much understand. It seems to be. I seem to need to do like a certain number of hours of lurking in any given week to feel mentally well. Does it have anything to do with writing poems? I mean, it's a good it's a good question, right? Like, are you a poet because you're a weirdo or are you a weirdo because you're a poet? I, all I know is, is how weird I am and that, like, I think I'm much weirder. Like, I should be a better poet for how weird I am is what I'm trying to say. Like, I'm so strange and so, like, socially inept. Like, any any positive or, like, normal social interaction that I'm able to have is a result of, like, uh, stuff that I've constructed. Like, watching other people and going, oh, that's how you do it. Okay. Like, you know, it's just acting. It's drag. It's, it's, um, it's a performance. My normal state is, yeah, I want to be alone or I want to be sitting on the couch having a conversation with one other person. I should, given all that, I feel like I should be a much better poet because I'm not very social. Yeah, so maybe I do think that it contributes. Maybe lurking should contribute and maybe it should come first. I don't know. This is a very unsatisfying answer, John. I feel like you're going to be disappointed in me for this one. But um, if you ever feel like you lurk too much, you don't even lurk 
at all compared to me. I am lurking all the time. I hope that 1958 may bring you God's blessing and all the things you long for. It's carol singers. Okay. Next up, I have three questions from John Milton. John is on TikTok at Red Right Hand. First question, if you were empress of poetry for a day, what trope would you ban? John, can I just ask, what are you doing on TikTok? What is the benefit to you of being on there? I, I want to know, genuinely. It seems like there is something to be gained from being on there. But anytime I go on there, it's like... I just feel like people start screaming at me and I can't make them stop. And I'm like, this, if, if I wanted more of this, I would just focus more on my in interior monologue. Like, I, don't, I don't need to sign up for a service to do this to me. Uh, yeah, what's up with the TikTok, John? Please tell me. What was the question? Uh, what trope would I ban? Yes, okay, so I have an answer for this. I have a few, actually. As Empress, I'm gonna ban. I'm gonna ban some shit. Here we go. I have a list here. All right. Here's what. Here's what we need much less of. In fact, here's what I'm. I'm banning. I'm banning this as Empress. Any poem. And look, I know I'm gonna piss people off here. Just if this is you, just know that I'm an idiot. <laughs> you don't need to listen to me. But this is just. It just. This just gets to me. Any poem that uses the word palimpsest for two reasons one is everybody who uses it seems to think that they're the first person to have ever thought of it and second is i can never remember what a palimpsest is so i always have to go and google it and then i'm like oh yeah it's that thing where it's like it's a it's a it's something's been written on but then it's you can kind of like it's i can't even remember what it is now it's something about writing and manuscripts or something and, and it's annoying because I don't have a good memory and it's extra work for me. So I would prefer that you didn't use the word palimpsest in your poems. Not prefer, I am the empress, stop it. You can't do it anymore. All right, also stop using algorithm as a thing, just stop it. You don't know how it works. I don't know how it works. Nobody knows what an algorithm is or does, just don't. Crepuscular, please, it has been done. Leave it alone. It's over. Crepuscular is over. Limpid, don't do that. Just don't do it. You think it's, it's like wearing a hat. You think it looks good on you. It doesn't. There's one person that looks good in a hat. That's John Wayne. John Wayne can wear a hat. There's some other poet who can use limpid and get away with it. It's not you. Finally, as Empress, I outlaw Umbra. Just don't. Just don't do it. Just leave it out. Is the poem going to be worse for not having the word Umbra in it? No. It's going to be a thousand times better. Oh, I'm so mad. I'm getting so angry. Being an Empress is stressful. Okay, next question. Next question from John. What poetry form best describes you? A cut-up. And last question from John Milton. If the only emperor is the emperor of ice cream, who is the empress? Tori Amos. Harry, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Every day, once a day, give yourself a present. 
Don't plan it. Don't wait for it. Just let it happen. Could be a new shirt at the men's store, a catnap in your office chair, or two cups of good, hot, black coffee. Like this. A present. Like Christmas. My next question comes from John Clare. Now, John is on Twitter at Claire Bear, on Instagram at Claire underscore Bear, and on TikTok at underscore Claire dot Bear dot 82. John's question is, what is your favorite guilty pleasure poem, i.e. a poem that achieved mainstream success to the point it's become cliche? Hello, John. I left that bit where the cat meowed and fucked me up. Uh, I left that in just for you. I hope you're well. Um, You look really hot today. I haven't seen you today, but I just know that you do. Um, Yeah, okay. So, well, you had to ask, didn't you? How should I not be glad to contemplate the clouds clearing beyond the door and the window? And a high tide reflected on the ceiling. They will be dying. They will be dying. I don't know. But no I think I've been wrestling with this recently. I think I think maybe I might just be the, heterosexual. Like maybe I'm a heterosexual woman. Is the watchful heart? I don't know. Does it rising? count if you've got a huge crush on Andrew Scott? And the far cities are beautiful. I think it probably does. And bright. I think I just I just gotta. I lie here in a riot. I gotta accept it. I gotta accept myself as I am. Thank you, John, and um, yeah, happy Christmas. I have a question here from John Blight. John Blight does not have any social media presence, but he does run an online poetry reading, which is called Whale of a Time, which I think you can access via uh, Twitch, I believe. I'll double check that. John Blight's question is, what is your favorite color? Hello, Uncle Jack. How are you? How is the afterlife? Are there whales in the afterlife? Please tell me. Like, I genuinely want to know what the afterlife is like. So if you could, if you could let me know, that would be great. Um, any, any form of communication is fine. If you want to do it through like signs and signals, if you want to come to me in a dream, that's cool. If you want to just, I, I guess I could organize a Ouija board, if that would be useful. I don't know. I I never, we never met in real life, so I don't know what you would be into. Maybe, maybe you're not much of a talker. You've got some really important knowledge there, so like, don't, don't keep it from me. Like, don't be an asshole. Tell me what the afterlife is like. My favorite color is purple. Next question here from John Dryden. John Dryden is at Dryden True on Twitter, Instagram, Mastodon, and TikTok. That's just terrible. That's really bad. You got to change that. John asks, "Can you read us a random article from a shit newspaper using poetry voice?" The Canberra Times. I think I'm just going to have to read the um, the front page because uh, the Canberra Times thinks it's fancy. Okay. Thank you all for being here. This is a Sestina I wrote. It's called, Despite Some Concerns, Neil the Seal wreaks havoc on a small town. 
a 600 kilogram southern elephant seal, has gone viral online. Carousel of Love Canberra Airport passengers find special gift with their luggage. The Clyde Mountain rocking horses have been joined by Santa Claus. Chef is charged with Canberra Zoo stabbing. Zoo announces date to reopen after alleged fatal kitchen stabbing. What the fuck happened at the zoo? <laughs> this is terrible. What happened at the Canberra Zoo? Fuck me. Okay. Um, thank you very much for listening. That was my found poem. And, geez, I really, um, it sounds like everyone was not okay at the zoo. And that's terrible and not funny. What the hell? Next question from John Dryden. Who are the biggest rat bags in Ospo today? I haven't thought about this. I, I haven't prepared an answer here and I feel like I could get myself in serious hot water <laughs> by naming actual names here, John. Um, who are the biggest rat bags? Well, I mean, look, Duncan Hose wrote that, um, did that issue of Cordite that was called Rat Baggery. So he kind of claimed the title, right? Uh, and then are there others? Are there other rat bags? I think Justin Clemens is kind of a rat bag. Um, I don't know. I feel weird naming people's names. Like there definitely are rat bags, right? Like that's a good thing. But um, I, have, I feel shy about it. Why? Why am I? Why do I feel shy about this? That's so, that's so crazy. This is like a, this is a badge of honor. You want to be a poultry rat bag. You don't want to be like a, a good, um, rule abiding, law abiding poet. I don't know. Have more of my Christmas drink. Oh, well actually, you know who the biggest rat bag was? The biggest rat bag ever was Gwen fucking Harwood. Cause you know that she, like, you think that she did like two poems under a false name, but she did hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of those things. And she used her friends' mailing addresses in different states so that she would get away with it. And then she would get caught and then she would start doing it again. Like she was compulsive. Uh, yeah, massive rat bag, massive rat bag. I don't think anybody's going to top Gwen actually. Um, so too bad, Duncan, you're, fellow Tasmanian is out rat bagging you forever. And last question from John Dryden. Why should Gareth Morgan be Australia's first poet laureate? Well, uh, well, I mean, Gareth definitely should be Australia's first poet laureate, except that I would never want Gareth to have to deal with that because Gareth is a very lovely young talented person with his whole life ahead of him I would never I would never want him to have to deal with that um even for a minute I mean it's the same for for anybody else that I would think of as being a good candidate for that a, a good you know an interesting a fun candidate for that role like I'm stealing uh, somebody's idea here but if if Pio were poet laureate if Gig Ryan were Poet Laureate, yeah, if Gareth were Poet Laureate, 
it would send such an amazing message about what we care about in terms of poetry like hey we want it to be fun we want it to be interesting we recognize that it can be fun and interesting we uh we understand that like we have this lineage of things being fun and funny and rap bags and poking fun at stuff but I don't want any of those people to have to deal with whatever being the poet laureate is going to be like. Yeah, I imagine it's going to be like stressful and annoying. You know what you want is you want to be able to offer it to people and then to have them say, actually, that's that's a nice offer, but I'm going to turn it down. So maybe we need to have like a rolling sort of like just an understanding that there'll be 10 offers made, but all these offers the expectation is that you will turn it down, but it's a way of saying like, hey, you, if this was actually a fun job, we would have you do it. And yes, Gareth should be at the top of that list. Hello, Gareth. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sure that was very uncomfortable. You really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away? Clarence. Yes, George. Where's Mary? Oh, well, I, I, I can't... Uh... I don't know how you know these things, but tell me, where is she? I'm if you not... know where she is, tell me where my wife is. I'm not supposed to tell. Please, Clarence, tell me where she is. You're not going to like it, George. Where is she? She's an old maid. She never married. Where is Mary? Where is she? she... Where is she? She's just about to close up the library! There must be some easier way for me to get my wings. My last set of questions is from John Forbes. John is at Tropical Skiing on Twitter and at Julie, 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 all one word, on Instagram. John sent through 10 questions. The first one was, you recently described Joshua Megan as your teacher and mentor. In a perfect world, how would you want your best poems to differ from his? Hmm. Um, hi, John. Wow, that's annoying. That's an annoying question. Um... How would I want my poems to be different than his? This kind of like, I guess I'm going to, I'm going to end up giving kind of a serious answer to this. Like, I think my poems can't help but be different to his because a poem is just an extension of your personality if you're doing it right. And I hope that on good days I can be honest enough when I write things down that it sounds like me. I'm never going to be able to sound like Josh because I'm not Josh. I mean, yeah, okay, this is, it's a cop-out answer for sure. I mean, the real answer is like, I fucking, of course, I wish that I sounded exactly like him. <laughs> I wish, I've been working on this thing, John. I, we, we've talked about this. I've been working on this fucking blank verse poem that was a page and a half long and then it was a page long and now it's like nothing I think it might have one good line in it and I think about Josh's poem the promenade and I'm like why can't I do that why can't I do it like what's what do I have to do what kind of deal do I have to make why why is it so hard I understand all the rules like I surely Surely I can pull this off, but I can't. I cannot pull it off. And uh, 
you know, Josh did say to me that if I was going to try to write this way, I was going to suck for five years. And it's only been two and I still suck. So second question, what are women better at than men and vice versa? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I tried to write like a funny answer to this and then I just felt really depressed just because I just started thinking about how anything that's about like, oh, what a woman's like or what a man's like, like it's all so oppressive and like boxes you in. It just feels bad. It just feels bad to talk about things in that way. I just hope, John, and and for anyone, anybody listening, whatever particular gender mix you have within yourself and within your household, I just hope there's someone in your house who can say, it is time to stop scrolling through our various streaming services. There is nothing on here that we want to watch. It is over. It is done. We need to go to bed. I just hope you have somebody like that. Like without that, I, I think it's, I think life is very hard. And so, and so I, I don't really think it matters who it is. I think as long as just, as long as somebody in the house can do that for you, um, even if it's just yourself, your higher self, whether they be uh, more of a boy or more of a girl. Um, yeah, I just, I just hope you have that. I just want to say for the record though, I'm really great at building fires and I can drive a manual car, so I'm not exactly sweating it. He's kind of shy about singing at parties, but maybe, maybe he will this time. We'll do our best, anyway. Jack Jones! All I want is a room somewhere Far away from the cold night air Third question from John Forbes. Which gods should exist? Oh my God, John. Okay, this, this is a great question. And when I was thinking about it, I actually, I cracked the code to the universe. I just did, it just happened. So what I figured out was, it's not a question of what gods should exist or could exist or might exist. It's that every God exists. Every single God that's ever been thought up, ever, everything from big scary God in Genesis through to all the Shinto gods, through to all the giant gods who are like, don't eat that banana, you might kill something, through to people who say my higher power is a doorknob, like all those gods exist and they are all listening and they are all answering our prayers all the time. And that's why the world is so fucking confusing and fucked up is because it's just a giant bureaucracy up there Everybody's like filling in forms and trying to get things signed off and there's bottlenecks and there's only one person who knows where that form is and there's Judy over there. You've got to ask about the photocopier, but then she's on leave. And, and that's, that's why life is so hard. Is because all the gods are trying to solve all our problems, but there's too many of us and there's too many of them. And nobody has authority. Nobody knows who has sign off. And people who think they have sign off actually don't. And 
Judy's on leave. And that's why life is so hard. Next question. How much poetry is enough? Well, John, I, I, I think we could call it with you, I think. Like, let's just go 1998. That's enough. If we get, if we get John Forbes, I think that's enough. I'm not blowing smoke. I know it sounds like I am. I think you would be immune to that. Um, yeah, let's just say like when we got, when we got you, we had enough. Question five from John, complete the following sentence. If I never read another, it'll be too soon. Poem using the word palimpsest. Just stop it. Just please stop it. Also, okay, this is much more rare, but don't use the word ontology in a poem. Like, don't be crazy. Don't be crazy. That's also another word that I have to look up every single time I come across it. Just don't use it. Just don't. Um, also, no more, no more Sestinas. It's, yeah, I think we've had enough. We've had enough of that. Uh, no more found poems, no more erasures, no more cut-ups. Uh, no more, what else could we just stop doing? No more imperative second person address. You will, you are, you wake up and you are blah, blah, blah. No, no, I don't. I didn't do that. Stop telling me I did. I don't like it. What else? What else could we have? Mm. Maybe no more entire collections devoted to the poet's dog. I feel mean saying that, but I think it's the right call. I think it's a right, I think that's good. And no more anthologies that you could give someone at Christmas. No. No more poems that make grown women cry. No more poetry pharmacy. No, all that, all that's got to go. Hello. Well, I guess we're all in the spirit of the season by now, so I'm doing what everyone else is going to do tonight. I'm going to stay home with my family. Question six. What is the hardest part of making Poetry Says? Oh, John, I am so glad you asked. What a great question. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, look, there are a lot of things. It's, it's very difficult making a podcast. Uh, it's a hard and lonely life um, that I signed myself up for seven years ago. And, and it's, look, I, I, I face a lot of battles and a lot of trials on any given day. You know, any, anything from um, people not responding to my emails to people responding to my emails too often. You know, it's, it's very hard. It's very hard. Um, but I do make the show out of love. Um, there, is, there is one thing, though, that it, honestly, it kind of makes me doubt this work sometimes. Um, and I'll tell you, John, but I, yeah, it's, it's, this is tough to share about. Um, when I'm trying to upload the show into the WordPress site and I copy the link out of Cyberduck and then I paste it into the requisite window and then I hit verify and then it says link not valid. And then I do the same thing again, no difference at all. And it's like, cool. Yep. That worked. What the fuck? What is different? Why, why do things have to be so hard for me? It just, 
It makes me want to give everything up. Question seven. How would the meanest person in Australian poetry describe you to a poet visiting Melbourne? Ditto the nicest. Ditto the most honest. Ah, well. See, John, I know. I know how they describe me. They think I don't know, but I know what they say about me. She's a fox. In France, she would be called La Renard, and she would be hunted with only her cunning to protect her. She's a babe. She's a robo-babe. In Latin, she would be called Babia Majora. If she were a president, she'd be Abraham Lincoln. Just for the record, that is the funniest joke I've ever made on this show. Did you ever find Bugs Bunny attractive when he'd put on a dress and play a girl bunny? Question eight from John Forbes. Name a poem by a poet alive today that people will still be reading a hundred years from now. Um, easy. This is really easy to answer. You know it, I know it, we've all known it our whole lives and uh, this poet is still very much alive and will hopefully live for many, many more years. Um, we will forever, for until, until the earth sinks back into the ocean and uh, aliens come and say, hey, we were here the whole time, like what the fuck? Until that happens, we will still be reading and thinking about and quoting and and loving. We will. I mean, you, like, are you going to pretend to me like this is, this is not meaningful to you? I know that you love this. Everybody fucking loves this. It's a masterpiece and it will never die. It's like what we need to do actually is get Voyager to come back so we can put it on the golden record. Actually, just take everything that was on the golden record off and just put this on. It's the right move. You know I'm right. Question nine. If you knew the next episode of Poetry Says would be the last, what would it be about? I mean, there's the sort of like bitchy... Um, you know, I, I suppose I could go down in a blaze of glory and be like, do my whole talking out of school thing. But I'm like, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't be like, oh, and then this person told me blah, blah. Like, like who the fuck cares? Like, nobody cares. It's not important. Um, bullshit happens every day. And I, I, would, I would not waste my time or yours documenting any of that. What I would do is to, and I might actually do this, I've been thinking about this pretty seriously over the last couple of days. I might do my director's commentary of the holiday. Yes, the 2006 Nancy Myers film with Cameron Diaz, Jude Law, Kate Winslet and Jack Black. The best film ever made. I might just do that. Yeah. And then you have to like cue it up and you have to listen to me and then watch the movie at the same time. And that's the last episode. The end. There's worse ways to end a show. And my last question from John Forbes and last question for the episode. What should a poet be willing to sacrifice to write poetry? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question, John. I mean, I've given up so much. Um, relationships, many relationships. Um, I've given up jobs. I wasn't really sad about that, but I did give them up. Um, 
I've given up great wads of income, um, so much money. I could be so rich if it weren't for my poetry. Just to um, clarify, I think that's funny because I don't think I ever could have made any real money with any job that I chose um, because I'm bad at working. But I understand that like people do lose a lot of money <laughs> being poets. Like that's not a joke. That's not... It's a joke to me. It's a joke in my life. It's not a joke in yours. Okay. Yeah. Like other lives I could have lived, you know. It's that, what's that fucking Thomas Transtimer thing about like the ghost ship in the night that goes next to your life or some bullshit. Other things I could have been. I could have been uh, a really terrible dental assistant and a pretty average barista, but I gave that up so that I could write poems. Housing, um, obviously, I don't live in a house anymore. I used to until I realized that that, you know, if I was really serious about my art, I, I would live um, in the wild like Thoreau. He didn't, he didn't have, he didn't have, I mean, yeah, okay, he was on his mum's farm, wasn't he, or something? Did he have a house? <laughs> did he live outdoors or did he build a house? I don't know. I didn't read that book. Um, yeah, you got to give it all up. It's the only way. It's the only way. You better set the scene, hey, Joe? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, little Oliver Twist has just run away from the orphanage, and he's all alone in the city without a soul to turn to, and he's, he just doesn't know what to do. He's very lonely. He's probably the loneliest little boy in all the world. Um, I have no idea whether any of that is... Uh, I have no idea how I'm going to feel about any of this when I go back to edit it. I just want to say like something very important about the film Love Actually. Love Actually is the worst film ever made. Ever made. There are no worse films than Love Actually. I do watch it every year. And I realized this year as I was watching it, like there is not a single moment in this film that is earned. Everything just happens. It just happens. Like it's all just so meaning free which is i guess what you get when you have eight plot lines going at once the least believable moment in it is when what's his face i'm not going to look him up because i don't care um after he's been stalking kira knightley for uh, who knows maybe years um goes and stands outside her house and says carol sings and blah 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 and then and then she runs outside and and kisses him and then he says, Enough. Enough now. Does anyone believe that moment if, for like even two seconds? If he really actually feels the way about her that we are led to believe that he feels, how does he just go, oh, cool, okay, yeah, no, nah, no worries, mate, that's good. Yep, I'm sweet now. Like, no. No, he's got to spend like at least two years being like, Totally torn up and heartbroken. Yeah, that's reasonable. No, you want to. It's it's Jean Delmon, but it's love actually. It's four hours long, and it's just a long shot of his face, <laughs> just, just 
he's not even crying he's just staring at the camera and that's the movie like that's that's what i'm up for happy christmas um but i do i do want to end on a positive note and i did want to say that even though it is the worst film ever made and this is important i hope you haven't turned off yet because this is this is important shit that i'm getting to right now love actually worst film ever made but it has the best moment in any film and that is when when emma thompson figures out that alan rickman has been fooling around with the girl from the office and has gone and bought her a gold necklace and she realizes this and she excuses herself she goes into the bedroom and she plays both sides now by Joni mitchell and it's not even all that it's when she leans down onto the bed and she re-straightens the already straightened bedspread. That moment is so transcendent. It is so wonderful. It's so heartbreaking. It is shattering. I defy you to watch that and not get a little bit choked up, at least. Worst film ever made. All the fun and enjoyment and the peace of a very happy Christmas. Um, what else do I have to say? It's, it's been, it's been a weird day. It's been a weird week. Um, you, look, you might, you might be, I don't know when you're going to listen to this, John. Um, I, I, I hope, I hope you're doing okay. Like Christmas is, Christmas is complicated. This time of year is complicated for people, for me. Uh, for everyone and I know that it's it's tricky sometimes to like match up the the women's weekly version of you know Christmas and and the reality like what's what's actually going on um, and it can be it can be rough it can be lonely um, yeah so I just I will be thinking of you and I will be missing you. Thanks to all the Johns for all their questions. I'm not very good at the I love yous, so I'll go with Go easy I'd on like yourself. You to meet my daughter Lorna. Pleased to meet you. And this is my son Joe. How do you do? <laughs> Liza's out skating with her beau, but she'll be in later. And we've asked a few other friends to drop in too. And I, oh, I'm terribly sorry, but uh, would you like to? I should keep you standing here this way. Come on in. Come on. They didn't make a sound They tried to reach me But I lay upon the ground So 